0: الحمد لله الخالق الوجود من العدم وجاعل النور من الظلم ومخرج الصبر من الألم فنشكره على المصائب كما نشكره على النعم ونصلي ونسلم على رسوله الأكرم ذي الشرف الأشم والنور الأتم وكمال النبيين والكتاب المحكم سيد ولد آدم الذي
1: بشر به عيسى بن مريم ودعى لبعثته إبراهيم عليه السلام حين كان يرفع قواعد بيت الله المحرم والذي بارك الله به كافة الناس العرب منهم والعجم أما بعد يقول الله تعالى
0: في كتابه بعد أن عودوا بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والذين هم لأماناتهم وعهدهم رعود والذين هم على صلواتهم يحافظون أولئك هم الوارثون الذين يرثون الْفِرْدَوْسَ هم فيها خالدون ولقد خلقنا الإنسان من سلالة من طين تبارك الله أحسن الخالقين، ثم إنكم بعد ذلك who is a we غافلين، not من
1: Respected audience, dear brothers and sisters, just imagine for a second that that a person or, a, or an entity of a high caliber makes mention of you. And most assuredly you'll, you'll feel proud that that person deemed you worthy or considered you worthy that they mentioned you in, in their important gatherings or, or in, in whatever gathering or whatever setting or whatever capacity they mentioned you in. Just Just imagine for a second that Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala mentions you in the most precious book of all time, and in this surah, Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala is mentioning you, me, and you. In which Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala is mentioning the attributes of the believers. The name of the surah is Suratul Muminun, and Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala is talking about you and me. Now, all of us, we do aspire to be mu'mineen, no doubt. When Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala he mentioned the Arab, the Bedouins, who would come to the company of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and they would say that, Amanna. indeed we have become mu'mineen, we have become believers. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he admonished them saying, tu'minu, aslamna. that do not say that you have become believers you have just accepted islam there is a lot more yet but, but but at the bottom of our hearts we all of us we do aspire to be mu'mineen and we want to reach the highest level of iman that we can attain so allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he's talking about the attributes of the believers and as you may have seen last week as well the surah starts off with qad aflaha almu'minun that indeed the believers have become successful we notice that aflaha was used aflaha is fi'l madi and fi'l madi is used for the past Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not say yuflihu, that indeed they will become successful or they are successful. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala used al ma'di that they have become successful, which guarantees their success because in the Arabic language, when al ma'di, the past tense is used, it means that success has already been, cha- has been attained and has been achieved. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says, We'll notice here that the very first attribute of the believers that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions, it starts off with salah. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addresses the khushu' aspect of salah, which you may have noticed last week. And then the last attribute to be mentioned, وَالَّذِينَ هُمْ salawatihim Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ends it by mentioning the aspect of salah as well. Which tells us, it, it serves as a teaching for us as believers, that the very beginning, the foundation of our, of our deen starts with salah, and it ends with salah. And if we want to attain, or if we aspire to achieve, the the, the, the attributes or the characteristics of the believers, which were mentioned between the, these two aspects of salah, we need to be steadfast in salah. So Allah Subhanahu wa Taala He mentions al-ladhnahu <laughs> fi
0: salahihim qash'oon, wal-ladhnahu alillagu ma'ridoon, wal-ladhnahu lil-zakatifailoon, wal-ladhnahu lil-furoojihim hafizoon. Until Allah Subhanahu wa Taala
1: reaches wal-ladhnahu <laughs> lil-amanatihim ra'oon. Now one of the most defining characteristics of this surah is that there's a there's a narration attached to this surah. And in the narration it's mentioned that whenever wahi would be revealed upon Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, kāna Yusma Indahu, Dawi people would usually hear a buzzing. Like the buzzing of a bee, and that's how the Sahaba would know that Wahi is being revealed upon Rasulullah. There were many forms of Wahi out of this. This was one of the many forms of Wahi. So the Sahaba they mentioned that we heard the buzzing of the bee when we were in the company of Rasulullah, and we realized that Wahi is being revealed upon Rasulullah, and then that buzzing stopped and Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam came out of that state. Now normally Rasulullah would immediately engage us in conversation and we would be eager to learn the commandments of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that had come down upon us. But this time Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam did not talk to us immediately. He turned towards the Qibla, he faced the direction of the Qibla and he made the dua in which, it's a very beautiful dua, it's also very simple, but I would like to share that before we move on. Rasulullah said, Allahumma zidna wa la tanqusna It's very simple, Allahumma zidna wala tamqusna. It means, O oh Allah, please increase us and do not decrease us in your blessings and bounties which you have granted us. So he said Allahumma zidna wa la tanqusna then he said wa akrimna wa la tuhinna and o Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us respect and do not cause disrespect for us respect is something that we all want in this worldly life Even amongst the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we aspire to be respectful individuals. And this is something that is needed in a society for us as Muslims. So, and then Rasulullah said, وَأَعْطِنَا وَلَا تُحُنِمْنَا That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us an increase in our blessings and do not make us from amongst those who are deprived of the blessings that are being granted to the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at large. Then he says, "Wa وَلَا تُؤْثِرْ عَلَيْنَا And give us preference over enemies. And don't give our enemies preference over us. And this is something, it's a very beautiful dua, because a lot of times enemies are, are can at sometimes be the physical enemies that we see in the form of an individual that may mean physical harm to you. But at other times the enemy can be hidden. And that appears to be in the form of shaitan. And that's an enemy that we don't see on a lot of occasions, and Shaytan continues striking us, as the hadith of Rasulullah states, "Inna the yajri fil-insan majrud dam." He's flowing through the, through the blood of the of the son of Adam, like the, sorry, he's flowing through the veins of the son of Adam, like the way the blood flows through the veins of the son of Adam, and he continues striking us. So we aspire to gain the upper hand on Shaytan, and then the, the last aspect of the dua is Warda anna Wardina Allah subhanahu wa taala." Be happy with us, be pleased with us, and then make us pleased with you. And this is something that we notice from the from the from the life of Sahaba, ta'ala Majma'een, that they were granted the title of Radiallahu Anhum Radwan. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is pleased with them, and they are pleased with the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And there's a lesson in it for us as well that we aspire to gain the rida of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and we also want to be happy with the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Moving on to the ayat for today, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala stated, li amanatihim wa ra'un. And this happens to be another characteristics of the believer that they always fulfill their covenant. If they make a pact with someone, if they make a promise, they aspire to fulfill that covenant or, or that promise. Now, when it comes to the amanat, the word amana itself, if you translate it from a linguistic standpoint, it translates to trust. And trust can be in the form of physical things, and it can also be in the form of, of the pacts that you make and the verbal ag- agreements that you make with people. Now, when it comes to the rights, at times, there are two rights which are directed towards the son of Adam. The, the, the first one being hukukullah. Those are the rights of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that are upon us. And many a times we are very punctual about the rights of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yes, we do have deficiencies here and there, but we try to fulfill the rights of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as much as possible. What are the rights of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upon us? Now when it comes to the, the do's and the don'ts, the awamir of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the nawahi which are being directed towards us by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. For example, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Akimul Salah, waatul zakah, be steadfast in your salah <coughs> and pay your zakah. And these are the things that we're fulfilling that happens to be the fulfillment of the, the 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 orders of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that are being directed towards us. So that's haqqukullah. And when it comes to deficiency in the hukuk of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Remember that the aspect of the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is many fold in His wrath and His anger. And we notice that in the Rahmati Ghadabi, <laughs> Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that my, first, my mercy far exceeds my wrath and my anger. And most of us. We will aspire for the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the day of Qiyamah, on the day of judgment. It is mentioned that the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will be at display in such a way that even Shaitan will want the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he would start to desire the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when it comes to the rights of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there is hope over there. If there's any deficiency, we can hope that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala may forgive us. But the second aspect which is directed towards us in this ayah is that is the rights of the creation of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that is where we're in an extremely dangerous territory and the hadith of rasulullah sallallahu wasallam shed some light on that rasulullah says he asked the sahaba do you know the destitute and the most poor individual of my ummah? the sahaba according to the customs and the norms of the world they said one who does not own any wealth. Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi Rasulullah replied, No. The muflis, the destitute individual of my ummah, is the one who comes with heaps and heaps of good deeds on the day of qiyama. he used to curse at that individual, cut this individual off, take away the rights of the creation of Allah subhanahu wa taala. So, what do you think will happen on the day of qiyama? What is the currency on the day of judgment? And this day, if you, if you if you get in a fender bender, uh, you can use, and you can come to an agreement with each other, you give each other money and you drive off. Or you let your insurance deal with you. The currency in this world is the money that we have in our hands. What is the currency on the day of Qiyamah? There's no way that you can pay people in money. So what are you going to do? Your good deeds will be given off to these people. One by one, all the hasanat that you had done in this world will be given off to the people. There's a line that, that has formed. People are lodging com- their complaints against this individual in the court of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. One by one, your good deeds are being given away. What happens? Your good deeds are finished. Then the hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam states that the, the sins of those individuals will be piled on this person because that's the only way you can make both ends meet and then what's going to happen the order of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will be given for this person to be thrown headlong into the fire of hell so this is the outcome of an of an individual who's not mindful of the rights of the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala they are, they are mindful of the rights of the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala they're mindful of the trust that has been placed upon them now the, the the rule that we follow in this current day and age there's an Arabic saying which puts it accurately it it, it says that malakun rahimun fil masjid shaytanun رَجِيمٌ fil kharij that the, the that the muslim individual of this day and age he is an angel the, the moment he enters the masjid he turns into an angel he's busy worshiping allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he calls out to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but the moment he exits the masjid he becomes a shaytan jab masjid mein to farishta sifat insaan that you are the best of the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the moment you exit the masjid you start cursing at people you start cutting people off you don't give people their due and these people they will come and they will lodge their complaint against us on the day of qiyamah so a believer is always mindful of these things and then the aspect of ahad is such that even a small promise can come down in the form of an ahad it's a pact that you make with someone. A lot of times we write we write these agreements down, and then you can hold the other person accountable, as is the customary habit of this current day and age. But the people of the past they would normally make verbal agreements, and this this ahad aspect of it, the promise aspect of it, covers the verbal agreement as well. That if you st- if you tell someone that I will do such and such thing for you, you have to follow up on that thing. There's the hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam the Mafum of which is I don't remember the exact wording but a Sahabi he agreed with Rasulullah that he would meet him at such and such point and then he, he forgot and and he never met up with him and many many hours later he remembered and he went to that place and he found Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam on that same exact spot so this was the minute detail which Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam followed so hum amanatihim wa that they're mindful of the pacts and, and and the covenants that they make, and then right after that, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala mentions that hum ala that they're mindful of their salah. Now we did mention this attribute or this quality of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. This reminds me of, 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 of a hadith in which a sahabi he comes to the company of Aisha radhiyallahu anha. And he says, كَيْفَ كَانَ خُلُقُ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وسلم? How were the akhlaq of Rasulullah sallam? And it is known about Rasulullah and the Sahaba that normally when people would, would ask about them, they would say that, خُلُقُهُمْ الْقُرْآنِ That their akhlaq is the Qur'an itself. Even when the non-Muslims would come from the outskirts of Medina or they would come from outside, the foreigners that would come to Medina, they would normally ask for a copy of Qur'an. So the Sahaba, the companions, they would usually indicate towards the Qur'an of the Qur'an that this is a walking, talking copy of the Qur'an. Nowadays we have thousands and thousands of copies of the Qur'an, but the implementation is not there within our lives. Their implementation was such that people could comfortably point at them and say that this is our Qur'an. So Aisha radiallahu anha, she said, Do you know the first ten ayat of Surah Al-Mu'minun? Because the person was asking about the akhlaq of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. She said, Recite the ayat, the first ten ayat of Surah Al-Mu'minun. Qad aflaha al-Mu'minun al-ladina hum fi salatihim till the end. And she said, This is the akhlaq of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So it's very important for us that if we want to become mu'mineen and if we want to become believers, we need to. Implement these qualities and these characteristics in our life. When you look at them at a glance, they may na- they may not seem very difficult, and a lot of us may have those attributes and qualities within our lives. We just need to attain perfection in them, at them, so that when we meet Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, we're able to say that, Oh Allah, we saw, we recited these verses in the Quran, and we tried to implement them as much as we could within our lives. Please make us from amongst those who become successful in this, in in, in the hereafter. So. Right after that again, And the point that we mentioned in the beginning, that the first attribute which was mentioned is the aspect of salah. And the last attribute or the last quality which is being mentioned is also pertaining and related to salah. This tells us that salah happens to be the most important factor in deen itself. And that's why it's mentioned in the hadith of Rasulullah that أَوَّلُ مَا يُحَاسَبُ بِهِ الْعَبْدُ يَوْمَ that the first thing that will be taken into account on the day of Qiyamah is going to be Salah. And if Salah comes out to be perfect, there is hope for other a'mal as well. But if there is any deficiency in Salah, then there is no hope for anything else as well. So we need to be very, very mindful of our Salah. Now when it comes to Salah, we notice that in multiple places in the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addresses the aspect of Salah with iqamah salah and Iqamatul Salah happens to be, if you were to translate it, it's steadfastness in Salah. Means we, we need to adopt everything which will make Salah a permanent thing and a permanent aspect of our life. When we look at the practice of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and Sahaba Radwallahi Ta'ala al we find them to be very steadfast in Salah. The five time daily salah would happen in the Masjid, no matter what happened on rare occasions would they ever offer salah in their homes to to such a point where a hadith have been mentioned on those rare occasions when the command and the order was given for salah to be performed at homes specifically during the flood that happened in the city of Medina it was mentioned Ala sallu that pray at your homes it was not possible for them to come to the masjid and a lot of times even the pious individuals amongst us from our community or society they think it a great virtue just to offer their salah and they say that if we offer salah at home it's okay we're offering it but there are many of fuqaha and ulama that state that لا al لجار المسجد إلا في masjid That the salah of an individual who lives in the nearby vicinity of the masjid His salah is not valid unless it is offered in the masjid So this is the aspect of maintaining our salah And the thing is, the more you frequent the masjid The more your salah will be protected On rare occasions would you ever find yourself neglecting salah If you're an individual who frequents the masjid So this happens to be The safeguarding of salah but when it comes to the physical structure of salah where do we stand and this is something I remember there was a mudaqra which I I did during the month of Ramadan as well that we need to be able to attain perfection in our salah a lot of times the salah that we learn in our childhood when we were young children five six years old we continue with the same salah until we die do we do that with the other aspects of life when it comes to education you make sure you get the best possible education. Have you ever met anyone who said that the education that I attained at that age will suffice me for the rest of my life? Or the money, the pocket money that you attained at that moment in your life, the money that you were given by your parents. Have you ever found anyone who said that this money will suffice me for the rest of my life? No. Everyone aspires to gain more. When it comes to education, qualification, you want more. But when it comes to Salah, sadly, we stopped right then and there. And if you want an example, <laughs> We memorize the last 10 surahs in our childhood. Many a times we continue with the, with the same last 10 surahs until we die. I know people in my life, people who are very close to me. And, and they do say things like, <laughs>
0: No,
1: it's not my fault. The talab needs to be there within us. Where we want to increase the portion of the Quran that's memorized. Now you might be thinking, why am I talking about the portion of Qur'an? Because your quality of salah depends on the portion of the Quran that you will recite in your salah. And look at the salah of Sahaba Radwanullahi ta'ala and and Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam himself. How is it that we find that they would stand for hours and hours in salah? There's a hadith of Rasulullah which mentions the Sahabi gives a description of the Salah of Rasulullah where Rasulullah started his Salah and the Sahabi wanted to be with Rasulullah in in, in his Salah so he joined him and Rasulullah started with Baqra Ali Imran, Nisa and then finally the Sahabi broke off his Salah because he wasn't capable of continuing so this is a question this is something that we need to ask ourselves that where am I standing in terms of my Salah now this is the problem what's the solution to this problem how do we attain perfection in our salah I'll give you one example there's a call of a of a sahabi who offered salah behind Umar ibn Abdul Aziz Umar ibn Abdul Aziz he's known as Umar Al Thani the second Umar and he's also known as the, the genuine Khalifa I believe the sixth one so Umar ibn Abdul Aziz was leading salah the sahabi prayed salah behind him once he finished his salah, the Sahabi said, Ma ra'aytu salata ahadin ashbah bi salati Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Hadal Fata. That I have not seen anyone salah with greater resemblance with the salah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa than the salah of this young man. And he pointed towards Umar ibn Abdul Aziz. So there was a person who heard this. He said, I thought, what's the difference in this salah? So I started looking for signs. He said, when he would go down in ruku, I would start counting. SubhanA al-Azim. So how many times do we do it? I believe we barely hit the third mark before we back up again. He said, I counted 10 to 11 times. Same thing happened in ruku. Same thing would happen when he when he would sit down in, 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 in the last ta'ada, when he would start. So when we look inwards towards the hadith of Rasulullah we find that there is a massive difference in the salah which is offered. The faraith that are offered in the masjid, and the Sunan, Rawatib and the Nawafil, which were offered by Rasulullah and the Sahaba. There's a huge, there's a world of difference. Now the Salah which happens here, from from the Musalla here, that Salah is meant to accommodate every aspect of, of the Ummah. فَإِنَّ فِيكُمُ السَّقِيمُ وَالضَّعِيفُ وَالْكَبِيرُ وَذَا الْحَاجَةِ know that when you're offering this, this is the command for the imam that know when you're leading salah then you should be mindful of the people who are behind you you have women, you have older men you have people who may be sick people who may have excuses who may have to go back to work so there needs to be a standard which everyone is able to attend but this salah is much different than the salah that you're meant to offer in your sunan, your rawatib, your tahajjud when, and when you look at the hadith of Rasulullah وسلم, you find that when Rasulullah would start with his takbiratul iftitah, what's takbiratul iftitah it's also known as takbiratul tahrima it's the first takbir that when we, when we say Allahu Akbar and we enter salah now why is it known as takbiratul tahrima is because when a person is in the state of ihram things which are normally permissible for him they become haram upon him It's not okay for him to continue doing the same things. Similarly, when a person says, Allahu Akbar, what happens? Things which may be permissible outside of salah, like walking, talking, normal things, are not permissible anymore. So, what's the first dua that Rasulullah recited? (laughs) Allahumma ba'id bayni wa bayna khatayaya And bear with me for a second, the reason why I'm going to recite all of these duas so that we know how much time it takes. Allahumma ba'id bayni wa bayna khataayaaya kama ba'adta bayna al-mashriqi wal-maghrib. Allahumma naqini min khataayaaya kama yunqqathul-abyadhu min ad-danas. And the dua goes on. It's a very beautiful dua, seeking repentance, seeking forgiveness from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then Sanaa subhanaka Allahumma wa bihamdika wa tabaarakasmuka wa ta'ala jadduka wa jalla thana'uka wa la ilaha ghayruk. Then Fatiha. No. There's a lengthy dua if you were to start writing it down, I think you'll be able to complete an entire page. What it's so beautiful, it means that I have turned my face away from everything. And I turn it in the direction of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I turn the direction of my heart away from everything and I turn it towards I, I, I turn its attention towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's how we attain the khushu in salah. Our problem is by the time we start our salah it's only and and we're done In, in mere moments we're done so by the time you can even start to attain the first effects of your khushu your salah is already finished there's nothing left of your salah within a few minutes we're done you know if you were to look at something take the example of a of a billboard or a signboard when you're passing for example if you're going through a freeway and you see a billboard coming up the moment you look at it you're unable to read it you need to look at it for a few seconds and then a little bit more in order for you to be able to read. So it requires focus and attention, it requires time. So by the time we're able to attain a little bit of attention in our salah, our salah is already finished. So that's that's a place that we're generally lacking as an ummah. And then, this is the, the third dua which is recited. After that is a fourth one. Allahumma ya rabba jibra'il wa mika'il If anyone's interested, all of these duas are in the books of hadith. In in Muslim Bukhari Abu Dawood, there's a small book called Hissun Muslim. You will find all of these du'as in that book, and it's very easy to memorize these du'as. You can start by each one of them one by one, and it's it's extremely beneficial if we also learn the meanings of these du'as, because they will grant us that necessary concentration and devotion within our salah. And then you go down in ruku'. Normally we recite Subhanallah aladhim. Three times. The recommended is 10 to 11 times. Then there's extra tasbihad. Subbuchun quddusun rabbuna wa rabbul malaikati wa ruh, Subhanadil Jabarut wa al kibriya wa al malakut wa al azamah. And then there's another dua which is extremely beautiful. Allahumma oh laka rak'atu wa bika amantu wa laka assamtu. Allah, that I have gone down in prostration for your sake. And every single thing, every single limb of my body is at the moment directed towards you in prostration towards you. Then you get back from from Ruku' and we normally recite Rabbana Alhamd and then there's another lengthy du'a after that Allahumma Alhamdu Mil as Wa Mil Ama Bainahuma I'm not reading, reciting the entire du'a because it'll take a, a very long time then we go down in sujood similar lengthy du'as that are there and then when you sit down for the last qawma the last sitting there's lengthy du'as over there as well Allahumma Ma Qaddamtu Wa Ma akhart, Wa Ma Wa Ma most of those are related to seeking forgiveness from Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala so this is this, the salah of the sahaba radwanullahi ta'ala al majmaeen and rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam himself. So in order to attain that level in salah we need to be able to attain that necessary khushu the, the concentration and devotion within our salah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, give us all the tawfiq inshallah. So wal ladheena hum wa'ahdihim ra'oon they're mindful of the covenant that they make with the covenant that they have with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the covenant that they have with the creation of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. Remember the most dangerous aspect, hukukullah. We need to be mindful of the rights of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, and then hukukul ibad, the rights of the creation of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, and those are the things which are pending those things will be taken into account on the day of Qiyamah. so we should never be satisfied that I'm doing good in this worldly life I'm trying to do everything to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala you also need to be mindful of the second aspect which is making sure that you give the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala their due and there's nothing higher than respecting the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as mentioned in the hadith "Al know verily that the creation of Allah subhanahu wa taala is the family of Allah, and the most beloved of the individuals to Allah subhanahu wa taala is the one who does good with the creation of Allah subhanahu wa taala. So, now, the attributes of the believers have been completed here. So, Allah subhanahu wa taala mentions that the people who will, who will inculcate these attributes in their lives, what will they get? Because the system that we have in this world. Normally, it's a system of stimulation. If you do something good, you're looking for reward. I mean, think about it for a second. If you did something for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, why would you want praise over that? But as human beings, it's within us that we seek praise. And a lot of times you come across youngsters, the current generation, that blames their problems on their parents. And they say that my father did not praise me enough. I mean, i don't know where does this come from but it every each and every single individual in this worldly life is looking for praise so allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has generally attached everything with a reward ultimately we're given jannah and there's a reward which is higher than that as well which is mentioned in the hadith is ru'yatullah subhanahu wa ta'ala is looking Being able to look at Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the other hadith which is a weak narration but mentions that in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala yaqra'ul rahman that after we're able to witness the jalal of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Allah will bestow us or bestow upon us the recitation of Surah Al-Rahman. That happens to be the ultimate. There's nothing after that. It's mentioned that thousands and thousands of years would pass and people will still be mesmerized with the vision of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala until that vision will be stopped. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions that if you're looking for reward, what are you going to get? Who are these people? The people who are going to inculcate these qualities into their life. They are the inheritors of Jannah. الَّذِينَ يَرِثُونَ الْفِرْدَوْسَ هُمْ خَالِدُونَ They're the ones that will be given Firdaus. What's Firdaus? Anyone familiar with the term Jannatul Firdaus? Rasulullah mentioned in his hadith, If you seek Jannah from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, ask Him for Firdaus. Normally our attitude would be, we are sinful creation of Allah. Even if we are able to attain the lowest of all Jannahs, we would be happy with that but what is Rasulullah saying that ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala according to his capability you are weak Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is ever giving you want to seek from the treasures of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala if you want a little glimpse into the treasures of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says O oh my beloved servants and slaves if the people who came into this world since the beginning of times, and the people who are going to inhabit this planet Earth till the end of times, if they were to get together on a race platform, أَوَّلَكُمْ إِنسَكُمْ Humankind جِنَّكُمْ jinkind. قَامُوا فِي صَعِيدٍ وَاحِدٍ فسألوني. Then what do you do? In your languages, in your respective languages, you begin to supplicate your needs from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I will give each and every single one of you what you want. Then, ما ذلك مما عندي إلا كما ينقس إذا البحر, and not a deficiency equal to a needle which is dipped into into the ocean water, and then you take it back out. There's a little bit of water left on the tip of the needle. You, one can say that a deficiency has happened in the in the waters of the ocean. Allah says, not even deficient that much deficiency happens in my treasures. This is the greatness of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. So when you're asking Allah, ask according to His greatness. Seek Jannah al the highest level of Jannah from Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. So ulāika humul These are the individuals who are going to inherit the Jannah. And what's going to happen in Jannah? Normally, if, if you are granted a blessing in this worldly life, what happens? It's short-lived. You know, they say there is a thought. If you if you think about that thought when you're happy or you're sad, if you're too happy, your happiness will diminish, and if you're too sad, your sadness will diminish. What's that thought? Yebi Guzar This will also pass. Right? So if you're happy, you know that sadness will follow soon after. And if you're sad, you know you will know that a time of happiness will come. So no matter whatever blessing in this worldly life, it's going to be temporary, it's short-lived. Most of you probably remember the قول of Hatim al he says, Inni Nadartu ila Al when I look towards the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I found that each and every single individual is forced to depart from the beloved things he has in his life, be it in the form of the beloved individuals. We all have a set group of people that we love dearly. Our parents, our siblings, our friends. If 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 a single one of them were to pass away, you will be devastated. So the beloved individuals that you have in your life and then the beloved objects that you have in your life, the car that you shine, the cell phone that you keep safely in your pocket, the money that you save in your bank account. He said, I look towards the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I found that you're forced to depart from these things that you have in your life. So what, what's the use of them? فَرَأَيْتُ كُلَّ وَاحِدٍ يُفَارِقُ مَعْبُوبًا I found that they're useless. None of these is going to help me when I'm really going to need them. So he says, فَاتَّخَذْتُ لِنَفْسِي خليلا لا, يفارق لَا يُفَارِقُنِي So I chose for myself a friend which will never leave me. What's that? That happens to be the good deeds that we accumulate in this worldly life. One example is given in the hadith of Rasulullah that when a person will be placed in the confinements of his grave and he can hear the people who put him in the grave, they're still talking. He can hear them talking. Just imagine for a second that we're lying in the grave and we can hear and recognize the individuals who put us there. Uh, you know, uh, well, and I think I've mentioned this before too. It's extremely vivid, the criteria of love that we set for each other. You, no, you normally don't want discomfort for anyone that you love in this life. Not even for a second. So if your father was sitting on an un, un, in an uncomfortable position, he would immediately grab a chair so that he can be comfortable. You want to make sure that your mother has the most comfortable pillow and the most comfortable mattress. Right? But when they die, what do we do? We pick them up and put them on the dust. Nobody, I don't think you would ever see anyone who's placed a mattress in the grave so that their mother can be comfortable in the grave. Neither has anyone put any other objects so that they can entertain themselves in the grave. This is the criteria of love. You definitely need to question that. What love is this? That the night before when they were alive, you put them in the softest position, you covered them with blankets, then the next day, the very next day, because you want to quickly put them in their in in their graves, you want to un- unload the burden that's upon you, and you definitely need to bury the people quickly as well that's the hadith also states it because that's their permanent abode, so you carry them, you take them there, and then you place them on the dust. All that comfort is gone now there's nothing to protect them from the cold; there's just the coffin itself, so when the angels are going to come. What is the worthwhile investment that you need to look towards? So Hatim Allah said, I found that none of these things will help me. Nobody will place a gold coin in my grave so I can bribe the angels. So what happens? The good deeds that you have done, so the angels are are intending to come from your head. They will go towards your head and they will say, لَيْسَبِيكَ Get away. You cannot come near this individual. We're here to protect him. If you have any questions to ask, you can stand at a distance and ask your questions. They will try to. They will attempt from the from the right side, from the left side, from the bottom. They will cover you from all four sides. The recitation of the Quran that you had been doing, the Sadaqah that you had been giving, the Salah with Jama'a that you would perform in the Masjid, the mindfulness of the rights of the creation of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. Each and every single one of them will be will be there to protect you on the Day of Qiyamah. So the, Hatim Al said, So I chose for myself a friend that will never leave me, which will always be with me." It will help you in this worldly life as well. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala states, because our attitude towards hasanat or goodness in this world is you do it, akrit middi ja. Because you think that the effect of that will only be in the hereafter. But the effect of your good deeds will come into this worldly life as well. Allah will give you a blessed life. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're gonna have a lot of money. Our problem is attribution to, uh, of 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 a peaceful life with money that's not how how it works allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give you a good life in this world that brings us to the point of falah the very first ayah of the surah how does it start qad aflaha الْمُؤْمِنُونَ and like we mentioned in the beginning aflaha is fi'l madi indeed the believers have acquired the success allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given it to them now and this is something you may have seen last week as well what is the definition of success? You find people who complain. They say things like, I have done everything right in this world. I do I try to do as much good as I can. I offer my five time daily salah in the masjid. I'm good I I I I am generous towards the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I am soft spoken. I'm a nice individual. I mean a lot of, we we do definitely think about these these things, right? Um, we have come to attribute all good manners with a, with a smile that's plastered in the face. So, then you question, you say, why do bad things happen to me? And this is a question that my relatives frequently ask me, that's why I'm sharing this with you as well. Because it's a daisy mentality that we have. So you say, I do everything right, I do everything good, but why do bad things still happen to me? Well, the answer to that question is that if you're doing good in this world, are you looking for the reward in this worldly life? That's qu- number, the question number one that you need to answer. Number two, this world was never meant to be a perfect place. You were never meant to have the 100% optimum success level in this worldly life. There is going to be suffering, there's trials and difficulties. Look, if Allah wanted to give the best life in this world, who would, who would He have given it to? Rasulullah Wasallam. His own life is full of trials and troubles. So that teaches us that if you're a pious individual, you don't see the signs of the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by your life being perfect. That's your relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And never ask for the rewards of your good deeds in this worldly life because you want to attain them in the hereafter. We know the example of the sahaba. They used to cry because towards later on, during the khilaf of Umar radiyallahu anhu, Uthman radiyallahu an, there was a lot of wealth that would pour into Medina. Because territory after territory was being conquered. The Persian Empire fell. The Roman Empire fell. So the Sahaba would cry. Because they would fear that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is rewarding them for the good that they did, for the sacrifice they gave during the, the lifetime of Rasulullah in this worldly life. So this is something that we need to be mindful of. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions that once you have fulfilled the criteria, these qualities, these attributes, what happens the ultimate abode for you is jannah ulaika hum alwarithun allatheena yarithuna alfirdaus hum fiha khalidun and the difference between the bounties of this world and the ultimate bounty that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is giving you in in jannah in the hereafter is khalidun it's never going to end in allatheena amanu wa amilus salihat kanat lahum jannatu alfirdausi nuzula khalidina fiha la yabghuna anha hawala they will remain in it forever they will never be transferred out of it. If you look at this worldly life, it's constant transferring from one place to the other. Either destination, cities, countries, from job position to the other one. Even our age itself is a constant transfer. We go from different stages of life. But over there, one single life, 33 years old, nothing is going to change. You You will remain 33 forever. So there is nothing that will change, and everything will be perfect. So, هُمُ الْوَارِثُونَ أَلَّذِينَ يَرِثُونَ الْفِرْدَوْسَهُمْ فِيهَا خَالِدُونَ After that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sheds light on His greatness. And this is something that we don't think of enough. That the very entity, which is the reason for your existence, how much thought have you given it? If I asked any one of you to come up here and glorify Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, how long do you think you will last? this is a question you need to ask but if I were to ask you to give a description of your house your home or your or your car you can go on for minutes and minutes maybe hours even someone who is a car enthusiast he can go on for hours but how long can we last if we were asked to glorify Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us a little glimpse of his greatness he says that oh insan take a look at where you came from today you stand ramrod straight on the earth of Allah subhanahu wa taala, and you say, "I exist. I matter." You know, there's the ayah in the Quran that states, ardi maraha, al arda jibala tula." Do not walk with arrogance on the earth of Allah subhanahu wa taala. Why? Because you are unable to carve your path by the hardness in in the way you walk. Neither are you able to attain the height of the mountains by your arrogance. So here we stand in the earth of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we claim to be great. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, go back. Go back to where you came from. What's sulala? The word sulala is the the extracts of earth, the elements of earth. It could be anything. Anything that you see on the ground. And dleen? Den is wet clay. That if it if if, if if you were to come into contact with it, if it were to stick on your hand, what would you do? Immediately rinse it, wash it off. If it were, if it were on your car, what would you do? You would take it to the car wash. So Allah says, وَلَقَدْ al-insana min سُلَالَةٍ مِنْ تِينَ Verily, we have created this insan from sulala, from the extracts of earth and wet clay. This is your reality, O oh insan. أَلَمْ مِنْ مَهِينَ فَجَعَلْنَاهُ فِي قَرَارٍ You were created from a dirty drop of water. That's your essence, O oh insan. Now there's a question which is commonly asked, that how is it possible that we are created from, from clay or from extracts or elements of earth? Because we were created from a drop of water. Well the answer to that is that you need to go to the ultimate source of where you come from. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he created Adam He created him from these elements. And those elements have been carried on. And when a person, he attains nutrition, he attains nutrition through the elements of earth itself. And through that nutrition, you're able to reproduce. That's how your existence is in this world. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions, So, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that, Verily we have created you from from wet clay this is your essence and these are the elements from which you were created from. and then allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives a little display of his greatness so what happens you go through different different forms you okay inshallah okay inshallah Okay so then th- th- there's a different transitions that we go through so allah says مِن what's a nutfa so you're you're coming from that you're coming from the extract of clay adam alayhi salam كلكم من ادم وادم من تراب each and every single one of you is the son of adam you're the progeny of adam alayhi salam where did adam come from he came from dust minha we created you from dust. So after that is nutfa. Nutfa is the dirty drop of water. If it were to come into contact with your clothes, your salah will not be valid. You're gonna have to wash it off. So thumma khalaqna nutfata alaqatan. Then the transformation happens, and what, what do you become? You become an alaqa. An alaqa is, is a little form, maybe some form of meat then mudgha mudgha is think of it as a piece of meat which is bloody and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that once that piece of meat comes فَكَسَوْنَا الْعِظَامَ لَحْمَا and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala covers the bones with meat and that's how your structure comes and then ثُمَّ أَنْشَأْنَاهُ خَلْقًا آخَر here we notice that in some places Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is using fa. Fa is for taqib. Taqib means right after in in the arabic language there's a concept of atf atf is when you want to base off uh, the the current portion of a sentence on the previous one so you say for example jaa zaidun wa amrun it says zaid came and then amr you don't want to say jaa zaidun and jaa amrun you don't want repetition so you base it off on the previous one so fa is one of them it means taqib right after so allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is mentioning the different phases the differences the transition that this insan goes through in some portions, Allah used the fa' which means immediately right after. In some places, Allah mentioned thumma. Thumma means with a delay. So, when we're going through these different transitions, some of these transitions happen immediately from one to the other, and others they happen with a delay. So, Allah says, So, what happens after you have taken form, and after this form that you see as, as the insan, the baby that comes out. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions that life, we breathe life into it. And many a times, the life comes in the form of the soul. And the fuqaha and mufassireen mention that the soul can be the physical attribute of the soul itself. That's the life that we see within an individual. So that's one aspect of the soul. Then there's a second aspect of the soul. The soul which was created or which had been created since the beginning of times by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's the soul which made the pact with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when Allah asked, Alastu bi rabbikum qalu Bala Shahidna When Allah asked, who is your Lord? And then we said, O oh Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's you. So these are the two, two elements of the soul itself. And then the soul is given and this insan comes out into the world. And the hadith of Jibreel alayhi salam states, that fi ummihi That a person he serves some time in the belly, in the womb of the mother, for forty days periods. There's forty days periods that you spend, and while you, you're going through this transition or this process, every single thing is being decreed by Allah subhanahu wa taala. wa ajalihi wa That what type of an individual will this be? Is he going to be from amongst the righteous ones, the pious ones, or is he going? To, is he going to be from amongst the wretched ones who are going to cause the displeasure of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala? Where is he going to live? The amount of sustenance that he's going to consume, wa the actions that he's going to commit. So all of these things are decreed by Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. So this is the beginning of the creation of this insan. Now, when you come out into this world, there is no existence whatsoever. You do exist. But you are a hundred percent relying on other individuals. Even to relieve yourself, you are unable to do so. So this is the reality of this insan, that Allah subhanahu wa taala had given life to this human being, so that he recognizes the bounties of Allah subhanahu wa taala that are upon him, and then he serves Allah subhanahu wa taala. And and this is the aspect that Allah mentions: That this human being when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is showering him with blessings, he's happy with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He says, Indeed, Allah has done good with me. And he's happy with everything that's going on. And the moment you see something which causes discomfort or displeasure, you say, Rabbi ahanan, Indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has disrespected me. This is the aspect of this insan. Now, in another surah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions that after this transition happens, there are many who are unable to survive. And you know, I'm sure most of you are familiar with a stillbirth. You're not able to come. You come, you're dead. People pray janazah. At times we don't even pray janazah. The fiqh masalah is you just bury them. Or if there's life, then a month, two months, three months, six months, and many a times children, they pass away, they die. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions that even then, the fact that you retain life, and Allah had given you life, that also serves as a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then Allah mentions that a second trial is going to come upon you. And there are many amongst you who will be returned to the worst stage of life, which is old age. Once again, you will become dependent on the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's why you notice the people, the, the, the previous generation, they would frequently make du'a. Allah. Do not make me dependent on, on anyone. And it's because the insan simply does not have the capability. Beauty...